We're back with more in series two of the Evening Under Lamplight podcasts with Robert Louis Abrahamson, this time looking at the third beat of Act One, Scene Two, where we are introduced to Caliban and to more uncertainty about where to place our sympathies. Let's get to it. Ariel has just been sent off to get into the costume of a water nymph and make himself invisible, though why he has to wear a costume when he's invisible is not clear, except that wearing the costume shapes the part he's about to play. There are a few minutes with just Prospero and Miranda on stage. How long a pause it is between Ariel's exit and Prospero's waking Miranda is up to individual productions to decide. It's possible that Prospero could spend a few minutes in thought, planning what's coming next, or gazing at Miranda, the dear daughter whom he's about to give up to a husband. Certainly we see Prospero in a tender mood towards Miranda as he charms her awake, calling her dear heart. She immediately apologizes for having fallen asleep, I suppose feeling a little guilty that she dropped off when he was speaking to her, unaware that Prospero himself had charmed her to sleep. "'You weren't boring me,' she says. "'I I was just so amazed by the strangeness of your story that I became sleepy.' That's an odd apology, but its main purpose is not to convince Prospero, who knows better, but to show her delicate care not to have offended him, either from love or fear that depends on how we're interpreting their relationship.' Prospero, in his role as scriptwriter and director of the drama being enacted on the island, tells her that the next scene is going to be with Caliban. He says they'll go to visit Caliban, though actually he calls Caliban over to them. But why is he setting up this scene? It's clear that Miranda abhors Caliban, and it's highly displeasing for her to be near him. We'll learn why in a few lines. There are two explanations of why they're going to see Caliban. One is Shakespeare's reason. He has this one more character to introduce, and he also gets the chance to show us more of Prospero's threatening way of assuming command on the island. And Caliban also provides further backstory. Prospero's reasons are a little more complex, perhaps a little more devious. We have to remember that Prospero is now trying to work out the meeting between Miranda and Ferdinand. He's just sent Ariel off to lead Ferdinand over to them. But before Miranda sees Ferdinand, it might be a good idea to remind her of this other creature whom she shies away from, so that she might be more ready to look the more favourably on the prince who's now coming into her life. And then Caliban enters. This character we've been led to assume is a monster, scarcely human, whom Prospero has just called you Earth, that is, you piece of dirt. But wait, his entrance is delayed for a second as Ariel reappears in water nymph costume to get his next set of instructions, which we're not allowed to hear. More invective against Caliban as a poisonous slave got by the devil himself upon thy wicked dam. That is, he's a son of Satan. You can't get much worse. Caliban enters with a hateful speech against Prospero and Miranda. We're not surprised by that. But we're amazed at how beautifully poetic it is, despite its hateful content. 
as wicked a Jew as e'er my mother brushed with raven's feather from unwholesome fen drop on you both. A southwest blow on ye and blister you all o'er. And then Prospero's threat that he'll punish Caliban for this speech. Again, we see Prospero trying to control his world through threats. And yet, when we come to think of it, he does no real harm to any of those in his power throughout the play. His threat to Caliban is to plague him with cramps. Painful, yes, of course, but nothing like the whippings and chains and other tortures inflicted on slaves in the Americas. Think of the other characters whom Prospero threatens and see how these threats are, or are not, carried out. We've talked before about the importance of the past in this play, as though to act in the present you have to be mindful of the past, and here we get Caliban's account of the past, of how gracious Prospero was at first, and how he, Caliban, was gracious in return. And we learn that Miranda too was kind. But then the crisis. Caliban, who'd been sharing their living quarters, tried to rape Miranda. Then all things changed, and he has now been kept styed in a hard rock, treated as a slave with no kindness or benefits. All sorts of questions arise from this. In his continued grievance, has he forgotten what he'd tried to do to Miranda? Ariel needed to be reminded of the past, and Miranda had to be reminded of what her life was like back in Milan, and how she got to that island. It's like a director telling actors how to play their part, and to help them, the director, or the playwright, fills them in on what events in the past might have shaped that character's character. Or does Caliban just not understand why what he had tried to do to Miranda was wrong? Has he just been responding to his natural instincts, not only to enjoy her body, but perhaps more to the point, to beget progeny to populate the island? Well, we're beginning to see that chastity is a major theme in this play and will take on more importance as we go on. But, but, but what is chastity but the exercise of control over our passions, something Prospero seems very concerned about? Perhaps his obsession with chastity is a kind of projection of his own struggles, not, not with chastity itself, but with self-control. And where are our sympathies in the scene with Caliban? Much might depend, at least in performance, on how the character is represented on stage. Is he decked out like a monster, as Prospero had described him, malformed, a non-human color such as green, making grotesque faces, perhaps speaking with some difficulty, maybe moving on all fours? Or, or, or is he, perhaps, only seen as an other, as, for instance, a dark-skinned person. His mother apparently came from North Africa, after all. Our sympathies can also be shaped by what the other characters are doing. Prospero is being severe. Miranda, well, there's a little problem there. She's silent for a while after Caliban comes on stage. What is she doing? Does Caliban look over at her and frighten her? Does she take on the air of a disappointed schoolmistress? Her speech beginning abhorred slave, which sometimes is put into Prospero's mouth, 
sounds like the kind of speech Prospero might make. Is she, for her own reassurance, perhaps, trying to act like her father? Well, where does that put our sympathies? There's also the problem of the way Prospero and Miranda first treated Caliban. Was Prospero manipulating him, carrying his favor in order to learn the secrets of the island? Was Miranda being condescending when she taught him language? Were they civilizing him, and did they have any right to do this? These are modern questions based on modern concerns. Certainly their subsequent treatment of Caliban has led to his deep resentment. He's a force on the island that Prospero, for his own reasons, has to control and make use of. Shakespeare's audience would have had no problem in agreeing that every nobleman, even one exiled on a lonely island, needs a servant to do the heavy work. That's what the lower orders are for. And if the servants are not cooperative, then, well, then you're in the same position as you are when your own passions are not cooperative. How do you deal with this? <laughs> That's one of the problems the play needs to resolve. At the moment, it seems Prospero can control only through his threats, which, which we must admit, do seem effective. Caliban is controlled by fear, as Ariel is controlled by the hope of soon being set free, and Ferdinand is controlled by... Well, we'll see about this in the next podcast. See you then. <laughs>